This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash freelancer show. If you're someone who runs your own service-based business, then spending less time on pesky admin tasks means having more time to focus on your client's work, which is why you need to give FreshBooks a try. FreshBooks is the invoicing solution that makes it incredibly simple to create and send invoices, track your time, and manage your expenses. It allows you to quickly see and track the status of your invoices, expenses, and projects, and allows you to keep track of your expense receipts in FreshBooks. For your free 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com slash freelancers and enter the freelancer show in the How Did You Hear About Us section when signing up. This episode is sponsored by Nerd.us. Do you wish that somebody else would handle all of those operation details when it comes to hosting your client's web applications? Nerd.us is a Ruby on Rails managed hosting designed to make your life easy. They migrate everything for you, and new signups or referrals come with a $100 discount or a referral fee. To sign up, go to freelancershow.com slash nerd. That's freelancershow.com slash N-I-R-D, and enter Freelancer into the contact form for a discount. This week's episode of The Freelancer Show is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Earth Class Mail moves your stale mail into the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with the tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for the business over to the digital world, but still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. With Earthglass Mail, you can get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks, and really just make running your business a whole lot easier. You also get real professional address to share publicly with customers, business partners, and investors. And you'll never need to worry about someone showing up at your door if you run your business from home. Visit freelancershow.com slash mail and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's freelancershow.com slash mail. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 194 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Greetings. Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, uh, just coming off of Freelance Remote Conf, which was awesome. Um, I'm working on a way to get the recordings up, but if you want to watch them right now, you can actually just buy a ticket to the conference, and then when you go into your dashboard, just click the watch button, and it will take you to Crowdcast where you can watch the recordings. This week, we're going to talk about building an audience which is kind of a thing if you have a blog or a podcast or video series or something like that. I'm curious, Reuven and Philip, what's been your experience? What kinds of things have you had to build an audience for? I think that's a great starting point. I mean, to me, it kind of speaks to the question of like, what would I do with an audience? What good is that? <laughs> right? <laughs> Make them give you money. I mean, that's the right. idea, right? Well, I mean, I think implicitly that's the idea is that, yes, you are going to, I, I just, I, I want to punch myself already for even thinking about saying this, but the idea is you want to quote unquote monetize that audience, right? You want their presence to be a way to make money. But I think that we can th even think more broadly about it. Like for the person who is starting out in freelancing or uh, who's a very happy freelancer who has, you know, 15 clients a year and makes a bunch of money from those 15 clients, is, is do they have a reason to build an audience? And I think the answer is yes. I think an audience is helpful to all of those situations for, for different reasons. It's not, I, I guess what I want to avoid is for people to think, I don't have a book or a product, so I don't need an audience. Right. I just want to say that as like... Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you could benefit from having an audience. So to answer your question, for me, I want an audience so that I have people who trust me kind of a lot, who think of me first when they need either a product I sell or a service that I sell. That's kind of generic. Uh, I mean, the services I sell are I, I help people build marketing funnels for their software development shop. And I have uh, a couple books and working on some other products. So, I mean, that's my answer to that. What about you, Ruben? So I heard for a few years, I guess, about people saying, I think it was Patrick McKenzie who said something like, the most valuable asset I have is my mailing list. I was like, yep. what is he talking about? <laughs> like, I just totally did not understand what he was saying at all. 
And little by little, and I, so I said, I don't need a, I don't need a mailing list. I mean, I've got a column of Linux journal and I write in my blog and if people want to find me, they'll find me. And that's good enough. And I've of course discovered in the last, say, two years or so, just how incredibly wrong I was. First of all, I mean, as we say all the time, I guess, as you Philip say all the time, there's like, yeah, everyone has a different specialization. Everyone has a different personality. You're going to have different chemistry with different people. And just sort of finding an audience allows you to connect with people who are interested in doing things your way and hearing what you have to say. And in the same way, it allows you to get reflections back from them about what's good and what's bad. So suddenly you're tapped into people who like what you're doing and want more and will give you a direction in which to go. And that for me has been exceptional. I get comments from people who I've never heard of before. And first of all, it's just very flattering. But second of all, they say, I would like it if you did X or Y or Z. Well, I never had that before in my business. You know, someone telling me, if you do X, I will pay you money. And then, of course, there's the aspect of, right, when I come with products, I will be able to hopefully use that, you know, and, and use their support to sell things. But I'm not selling them things because I'm just sort of spamming them. I'm selling things that they have told me they want to buy. I will be your spam bot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the and, thing. And, I, mean, I, I, I talk to people and they're like, I just e- ma- email marketing. Ugh. You know, and, and that's the thing. And and I want to kind of go back to where Philip was, you know, he kind of said it feels kind of crass to say monetization, but that's really the point. But the thing is, is that the most effective way that you're going to be able to sell is to actually help people. And so yes. it's not crass in my thinking. It's I'm giving good value and then I'm giving more good value that they have to pay for. Yeah, that's exactly how I think about it. I mean, that gets into, this is a very tangential thing, but there's this, this idea that I think comes from a Gary Vaynerchuk book uh, called uh, Jab, Jab, Hook or something to that effect. I'm, yeah. I'm, jab, 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 Right Hook. We'll put a link there you in the go. show notes. Yeah, and, and he is talking specifically about social media there, so that's the first thing to know about this. But he kind of puts out the idea, uh, and Gary's great at, you know, putting these kind of soundbite like ideas out there. Uh, Seth Godin does a great job of that too. That, you know, you should put in like three deposits to your account of goodwill with someone who's in your audience before you ask them for anything. And I like the way you phrased it right now, Chuck, where it's like there's value that's free and then there's value that you pay for. And neither one of those is like a withdrawal per se. There's just, you know, there's the free value and then there's the kind you have to pay for. I don't know what that's really apropos to, but I just wanted to call out that I like how you look at that because it's not like, you know, you're thinking of the audience as, as a bank account that you withdraw from. There's, there's just different segments in that audience. Some who are just there for the free stuff and then some who are willing to go further and and give you some money for even more value. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's totally fair to think of it as a bank account, so to speak. I mean, you know, you can't withdraw more than you deposit. And so if you haven't mm-hmm. deposited enough on your list or on your podcast or on your blog, then you don't have enough to withdraw. I agree to the point that I think anything you put in front of your audience should have value. Yeah, I, I, I guess agree. that's it, maybe it's semantic at some point. But if everything, even the sales pitches have value, they're just, yeah. you know, their value is leading to a sale, but they still should have value. They're not like taking away anything from anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're net positive in their value. Yeah. And I think we should do an, an episode on how to manage your mailing list and what kinds of things to send them and stuff like that. But what we're specifically talking about today is how to build your audience. So your audience could be the people on your mailing list. They could also be readers to your blog or subscribers to your YouTube channel or subscribers to your podcast. So at least for me, the ultimate direction that I want people to go from the podcast is to go to the website. And on the website, they get prompted to join the mailing list is the way that I kind of move into that. So how do you get people in? How do you bring people in so that you're growing your audience? There's a lot of answers to that question, aren't there? Yep. Some of that is is sort of technology dependent. Mm -hmm. So some of it is like, are you doing a sort of pull thing, you know, where people have to subscribe to an RSS feed or they have to like your page on Facebook or yada, yada. So I guess what I'm saying in, in a very inarticulate way is that some of this depends on on the media. I'm so email centric in how I think about marketing that I think that's the gold standard is that you invite people to join your email list with the very explicit 
Yeah, I, but but I think you're right, Philip. I think focusing on email is, at least for right now, the most effective way to go. Yeah, I mean, I almost see social media as like a complementary channel to email. And I mean, there's other ways to have an audience, too. I mean, you can have you can send out like a physical newsletter. <laughs> you can have like mm-hmm. a physical <laughs> mailing address list. There's tons of ways to do it. You can, you know, become a personality on on a radio station and use broadcast radio. I can't help but see things through this e- this email filter and feel like it's the most reliable, profitable way to build an audience. Well, well, hold on just a second there. So, so because I think there's two different things here, and I sometimes confuse them. So one of them is getting people onto your list, like building up your list and your audience. And the second is then sort of keeping them there. Right. So right. I'm not, sh- I'm, I'm not sure if, in fact, I'm pretty sure that like mailing to your list is not necessarily a good way to get people on because they don't know about it. You're speaking to the people who are already on your list. Right. But you have to, if once they're on, you want to keep taking care of them. You want to keep making them feel welcome. And for that, you need to keep writing to the list. Yes. The other thing yeah. is, is that it helps people get used to hearing from you. Cause if you just email them out of the blue every six months, when you have a new product, you, you haven't built any trust. You haven't, you know, they're not an audience at that point. They're a place where you go and you, you know, you pull out your shotgun and you, you fire into the crowd and hope you hit something that gets you money. If you're building that relationship where people are consistently reading your, your stuff, and getting the value that they wanted out of the list, then when you come out and you say, here's a little bit more value, and if you want a whole lot more value, you can go buy the book, or you can mm-hmm. sign up for my coaching, or you can hire me to come train at your company, or whatever it is that you're trying to sell, then they just see it as another layer of value that you've added to the relationship, and they're willing to buy it. So yes, you have to keep emailing them, and you have to email them good stuff. Yeah, the other thing Ruben mentioned is getting people on your list. I mean... This is very tactical, but I, I have had some of the best luck with things like email courses. So these are teaching based activities or the so-called lead magnet. And the key, I think, is people that you want on your list need to be naturally incentivized to care about whatever your offer to join your list is. So. One of the worst performing offers is, hey, join my newsletter and get updates <laughs> like that. <laughs> that's not a very compelling reason for somebody to join an email list. I cannot um, tell you yeah. for how long I tried that. Like, How did it, for, how did it work for you? <laughs> I, I was so frustrated because I was like, I don't understand. People are coming to my site. They want my information, right? Why are they not signing up for my list? So then I would make it more prominent. Sign up for my newsletter. And it was equally miserable in its results. And only when I started saying to people, and I really spent some time fine-tuning this, and I even worked with some people and talked to some people about it, like, how can I get them to join? And people pointed out what, in retrospect, is so obvious. They don't want to get your newsletter. They want to solve problems. So what pain are they having that you're going to help them solve? And so I kept thinking, okay, what do people do? What do people do? I know I do technical training. So, And people are constantly telling me in my classes that thanks to my class, they're no longer spending as much time on Google and Stack Overflow. So I was like, that's it. So now you go to my site, it says, do you want to spend less time on Google and Stack Overflow? And bam, right? (laughs) Changed everything. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I can back that up with another story. And I actually have my email system pulled up in front of me. I just looked to see how many email subscribers I've added over the last month. And I've added 868 subscribers over the last month with what I'm doing. Holy cow! How do you so, do that? <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was the same thing, though. I'd, I'd have people come in and they'd say, you know, which episodes are the best, uh, you know, for the podcasts? And, you know, how do you tell that, right? It's, well, I can tell you which ones are my favorites. And I might actually put that list together sometime. But a lot of people wanted to know, okay, well, which ones were the most popular? And that's pretty easy to pull up if you have the numbers on your episode downloads. So I pulled those numbers, crunched them together, and I came up with the top 10 of each podcast. Now, the secret is, is that the first email gives you actually the next 10, and then you get one a day for the, you know, for the next (laughs) 10 days, right? So you get the top 20 effectively. So I put those together for each of my lists. Now, the first one I did was actually the freelancer show. And so I put that up and uh, that was actually converting pretty well. And then uh, the next one that I put up was Ruby Rogues, I think, and then Adventures in Angular, 
and I just got JavaScript Jabber up. But the thing is, is that, you know, that's something that people want. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I can totally back you up on that, Ruben, and saying that this is what people said they wanted. So that's what I put out there. The other thing I did is I did actually make it, if you go to freelancershow.com, it'll actually slide down a sign up form and then you can, you know, click away from it or whatever. But the reason that I did that was that since so many people had asked for it and I didn't have any good way of telling them where it was, I just put it there. It shows up once and then it goes away for a month or two and then it comes back, you know, and then they can click it away for another month or so. But anyway, by putting it up front and center, when they're coming to look at the content anyway, they get the best of the content up front and then they can actually go look at the content they wanted to go look at. And it doesn't keep bugging them every time they come to the page. So that's what I've done. I'm using AppSumo to make that happen. And uh, anyway, so that's worked out really well. And as I've gotten it more specific, so initially the freelance one, I think I got like 50 or 60 signups the first week. But then as I've added the other shows, top tens to those shows, the number of signups has gone up exponentially from there because each group is then getting what they want. And again, it gives them the content they want. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of extra work that I had to do because I already had that information. I had the show notes. But at the same time, it gave people something that they wanted. And now I'm working on the next round of things where it's, you know, hey, are you looking for a good way to level up on Ruby? Here's a course. And then at the end, it says, you know, we've got a whole bunch of people coming to speak at Ruby Remote Conf. Mm-hmm. But it's the same kind of thing. And it's those email courses. One thing that I have seen, though, is that you don't want to give away everything. You want to leave them wanting more if you want them to take an action at the end. So it's here's 10 bits of what you were looking for. But if you want the all-encompassing strategy or the overarching thing or whatever it is that's kind of the big thing at the end, then you have to buy the product. And so it does give them value, but it also shows them that there's a whole lot more value to be had if they want to drop some money. Right. So here's the next question that I know a substantial portion of our audience is asking. Great. Okay. So that's how you invite people onto your email list. And I think variations of that could could absolutely work for, you know, if if you're just so good at social media that that's sort of your sweet spot. I think variations of that same thing could work for social media, you know, mm-hmm. like my Facebook page to get updates, uh, right. you know, blah, 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 or get this free thing. But how do you get the, the, the next question always is how do you get the traffic? How do you get people seeing that offer to join your list or whatever it is? What's, yeah. what's your answer for that? Well, I can tell you what I'm doing and you're listening to it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that's, what, <laughs> yeah, that, that's why, that's why people come to devchat.tv is because they want the podcasts. And so they'll listen to a podcast and then they'll say, Hey, it'd be, you know, what was that pick or what was that thing that they talked about? You know, cause we put the links in the show notes so people realize that and they come to check it out. Uh, the other thing that I've done is I've made it easy for people to subscribe to a mailing list where they get the episodes every week. And so then people will click through and click back to the episode. And mm-hmm. between the two, what happens is then people are coming to the website and they're seeing the the content, which is what they're there for, and any other offers that I have there, including social sharing and things like that. So that's how it works for me. A lot of it also happens through word of mouth. So people will tweet about an episode or they'll share it on Facebook or whatever. And then, you know, people they know will come in and listen to the episode. And so they're coming back to the site. They're getting what they were looking for in an hour long conversation about whatever it is that they were interested in on that particular topic. And so we, we gain subscribers that way. And we also gain just visitors. Some people just come listen to the one and then, you know, don't come back until another one gets pointed out to them. But yeah, it's the podcast and we have content there that people want, that people are interested in, that they're going to come in and pay attention to. Yeah. What, what about you, Ruben? What's, how, how do you quote unquote drive traffic to your opt-in offer on your website? So for we had someone on the podcast a while ago, I don't remember who, and we might have heard this several times from different people, that if you just blog enough, you will drive traffic and you will get a lot of people. 
And so there was actually a period, I think it was when I was working on my dissertation, and I needed something to distract me. I was like living in Chicago, away from my family. So I, I blogged every day. <laughs> I was like, this will definitely drive traffic. And I did something, not a lot. So I realized I need to do something else. And, and it, by the way, it could very well be it was what I was writing and how I was writing that was not bringing the traffic. So I've tried a few other strategies, and those seem to have worked better. First of all, webinars. Um, I do a, a free webinar probably once every now, like month and a half or so. I try to do it every month. It's not really that. And when I announce the webinar, because if I announce it on a topic that has blogs, that has mailing lists, that will often get picked up. And then people hear about it there. So they might hear about my webinar on my blog. They might hear about it on Twitter, social media. But they'll almost certainly hear about it, especially if it's on Python, through one of the three weekly Python mailing lists. Like, you know, this week in Python sort of thing. Similarly, I've managed to get my blog syndicated on some of these planet aggregators. And so um, I think it's like 8,000 people on the planet Python aggregator. So when they when I have a blog post there, it's not just people reading my blog. It's people reading lots of other places. And I've seen that by using the combination of, first of all, offering content in the webinars, offering content on the blog, and then making sure that it's getting out to uh, – so, so, you know what? I'm, I'm using someone else's audience, borrowing an audience, as mm-hmm. uh, some others have said. And it works beautifully. Um, and that, that audience is there for the for the taking. They want to have that sort of thing. Uh, Chuck, you just asked in the chat about planet aggregators. Let me describe that because it, it might not be well known to people. So if you have a blog and you have an RSS feed from there, that can be picked up by people using all sorts of different uh, feed readers. But there are some sites, typically I've seen them for technologies like languages, but they can be for other things, where they collect as many blogs as possible on a given topic. So you have Planet Python, where they collect all the RSS feeds for as many Python-related uh, blogs as possible. And uh, Postgres does the same thing. Ruby has a small one. PHP has one. You have, I- I'm guessing there are like 10 of them. And those Planet systems are then read in turn by many people with feed readers. So it's like a, a massive amplification system for your blog from people who want to know about a topic but not necessarily read what you're writing. Gotcha. That looks interesting. Yeah, I, I actually I had a guy in my coaching program who uh, who does Python, and he wanted to know how he could reach out to more people. I said, get your blog on Planet Python, and instantly he found that he was getting many, many more people coming in because of that amplification. It's really quite astonishing to see how well it works. Um, and then it just sort of feeds on itself. So, you know, the more people you get there, then the people read your thing, and then people read your thing directly, and so they'll retweet and extend it, and so on and so forth. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, you mentioned stealing other people's audiences or borrowing other people's audiences, and that's another good way. You know, in blogging, you see it as guest posting. I've also seen guest posting on other people's mailing lists, which is also very effective. And some people uh, will actually let you pay. If you have good enough content, they'll let you pay to post to their mailing list. And, hmm. uh, you know, you can you borrow a lot of credibility and you get right into people's inboxes that way. But, you know, you guest post or you post to you know, some semi-prestigious or prestigious places. I mean, Linux Journal definitely probably helps. I I don't know that you get tons and tons of traffic, but, you know, you're no. out there <laughs> you're, you're out there in front of an audience that is curated by someone else. Podcasting, you guest, uh, you make a guest appearance on somebody else's podcast. You know, YouTube, you put together, an, you know, something that somebody can post to their YouTube channel. Uh, you know, there are a lot of ways that you can get out there and in front of other people's audiences and have them essentially promote you while providing value to their audience. Yeah, that that particular approach is, has been the one that's produced the best results for me is um, borrowing an audience. And, and I, you know, you hear success stories in any one of these tactics, like you hear about people you know, having great success on talk radio or <laughs> traditional print media, those things, uh, some of them I've never tried and some have not worked very well in my experience. But yeah, just the general technique technique of finding an audience that you think would be interested in what you have to say and getting in front of that audience physically or virtually in some way is just a wonderful technique. Yeah, it works I- better if you don't try to sell something immediately to that audience, but mm-hmm. your next step is to sort of invite them into your audience. Yeah, I was going to say that that works really well. There's the flip side to it too, though. And the reason that this works is because you effectively provide exposure to your audience as well as providing value to their audience in in doing the guesting. So when you guest post on 
somebody else's blog, for example, you're probably going to share it, which sends them over to that blog and then they may subscribe to that blog's RSS feed. Or, you know, the way that I got traction early on with my podcasting was that I had guests on my podcast that people wanted to hear from. And it worked out that after the episode, those folks would go out and they would post to Twitter or whatever and say, Hey, I was just a guest on Chuck's podcast. It was called Rails Coach early on and then Teach Me to Code and, you know, finally Ruby Rogues. Uh, but, but we got some names, you know, we got some people that people recognized onto the show and then they went out and shared it with their audience. And then they said, well, if you're getting people like this, then I want more. And that was another way to grow the audience. So you can guest on other people's platforms or you can have them come guest on yours and both are effective. Right. One of the things that came up, I think, earlier on, or I, I made a note to return to it, is the idea of churn. Because uh, as soon as you build an audience, if you've never done this before, one of the maybe a rude awakening or one of the th facts of life of having an audience is that people come and go from an audience based on changing interests and all kinds of other things. So I'm, I'm curious to hear comments from you guys about, you know, was it a was it? The first time somebody unsubscribed from your list, were you offended? Did it hurt oh, yeah. your feelings? <laughs> oh, yeah. Still. So in doing these webinars, like I guess last month I did a webinar on data science and Python. And I think from the advertising for that, for people signing up, I had like 150 people to my list. I was like, wow. And, and of course, I still get the – I probably should filter these out at some point. But I'm too distracted. I'm too excited. I get the individual notifications. Another person signed up. Another person signed up. And I am, of course, on cloud nine. And then I send out a broadcast. So just today I sent out a broadcast to my list and like 10 people unsubscribe. It's like, oh, that's hurts so much. That's so terrible. But that's the nature of things, right? Yep. Like I can't expect a hundred percent of them to stay with me. And I have to keep telling myself that's okay. The people who like what I'm writing and want to get more and are my most likely audience and potential customers, they're the ones who are staying. So I should be happy that these people are leaving because I'm whittling it down to a, a more fine tuned group that's, a, that, is aligned with me, but it still hurts. Yeah. And there are people that come in, they kick the tires, you know, they get a couple of emails and then they decide, you know what, what I'm getting here isn't what I want. And then they unsubscribe or mm -hmm. they'll be offended because you actually did send them a sales pitch. You know, it was like value, 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 sales pitch. And they were like, ah, trying to sell me stuff. And they'll, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, there are all kinds of people out there that have all kinds of opinions and, you know, if that's part of your, the way that you operate your list, then they're going to leave. And that's just the way it is. But yeah, I remember early on, you know, I had a hundred subscribers and then it was, oh, two of them left, you know, cause that's, a, that's a large percentage. Right. <laughs> and so, but eventually, you know, you just, you just realize, look, uh, the people who are staying on are the people that I really want to be talking to anyway. And when people drop off, they're going to go find somebody else that's going to provide them the value that I can't. And it, it works out. But yeah, initially it's kind of hard, especially, you know, you, you make serious forward progress and then serious backward progress. And it affects you because it's a much larger segment of your list that's leaving. I have a friend, I'm not going to share his name mainly because I don't have permission to, you know, to talk about his particular situation in those kind of specifics, but he was looking at his mailing list and he, he wanted to increase it from a few thousand to, you know, several thousand. And he was looking at the number of people subscribing versus the number of people unsubscribing and realized that, you know, he was keeping probably, what, 30, 40, 50% of the people that were subscribing to his mailing list. And, you know, it was just, it was frustrating to him that, you know, it feels like I'm making all this forward progress because I see hundreds of people sign up every week. And then I go and look and realize that actually only, you know, a few hundred actually stayed. You know, and so it's, I'm not making the forward progress I need to make, and it's going to take me many years before I actually reach the number of subscribers I want to have. And so well, it, I, oh, it, it can be something that does affect the way that you look at things. And I think the cure for that is really just talking to the people on your list and making sure that you're providing what they want. I was just going to say, I, um, it was probably like a year and a half ago, I had a great conversation with uh, Marcus Blankenship, uh, who we had on the show. And um, I was talking to him about my list. And he said, well, how do you know what your list wants? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I sort of figured they signed up and they're happy. And he said, why don't you ask them? And one of the best things I ever did was to take his advice. And I went to SurveyMonkey and I set up a quick survey of like 10 questions. What would, you know, 
what topics are of interest to you? And, and it was not open. It was a multiple choice. And it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating to see what people were interested in. And it gave me such a clear window, both into my consulting career, like what direction should I be going in? And also why are people on my list and what do they want to get out of it? And I very strongly encourage people to try this out. It was a, a great experiment and so worth the effort. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. And the thing is, is that if you, so for example, let's say that you do have a, I'm going to use the term lead magnet, uh, which is whatever you offer to get people on your list, right? In exchange for their email address. So it can be that email course or whatever. After you send that out, you can actually follow up with that exact survey. So it's, it's obviously you're interested in basket weaving, you know, or whatever, you know, <laughs> here's how to weave a basket in five emails, right? So, uh, you know, obviously you're interested in basket weaving, but what other, what other areas of craft are you interested in? And then either send them to that survey or have them reply to the email or things like that. And you've already got their ear. You've already got their trust. And at that point, you're just asking them to tell you what they want so you can give them more of it. I mean, it's, it's a total win. Right. Yeah. Some of the things we're touching on are uh, really like mindset issues about having an audience. And I, and I think that's actually a big deal. So much so uh, I, I'm going to do a series of webinars with Drip on the Drip, the email marketing provider on, on setting up a list and, you know, using a list as a consultant. And one of the segments is going to be on just the mindset stuff because, you know, tell me if this sounds familiar. The first couple times you email, let's say a hundred people that you don't know who joined your list for whatever reason, I kind of felt like a spammer, like I was interrupting <laughs> them. And I realized that that was all in my head. They were happy to, you know, receive this valuable free content. And, uh, it was, it was something I had to get over. And I think the whole, you know, the whole idea that someone hates you because they click the unsubscribe button <laughs> is part of this mindset that you kind of have to shift over time in order to really build an audience. Well, the other thing is, is you have to realize that people get a ton of email these days. And I, in particular, go through my inbox probably twice a year and I unsubscribe from everything except for the couple of things that I actually read every every week or every month when it comes out. Except for my list. I know what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I cry every day that Philip doesn't email me. Uh, well, he emails us every day. <laughs> that's, uh, now down to just two days a week. So, Oh, is it? Is it? Good shape. Yeah, I don't yeah. email on the weekends, but I email every weekday. I know the weekends are just black black times for me. <laughs> but anyway, so in a lot of cases, it's not that they don't like your content. It's just that they're not reading it and they don't want to see it show up in their inbox anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. People's interests change. They move on. You know, you email every month, once a month, and, and they finally, you reminded them that they've been meaning to unsubscribe. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how, uh, so another sort of question that comes up when you have an audience is like, okay, how do you, how do you monetize the audience? How do you grow your, your devil horns and decide you're going to become an evil, uh, person who, who sells something to your audience? I say that tongue in cheek. <laughs> you know, how do you do that? How do you approach that? Where do you start? Well, the thing is, and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off, well, I guess it's not really a tangent, but anyway, if your list has been getting emails from you for the last few months about how to set up, let's say set up continuous integration for your web applications. If you're non-technical, it's a tool that does the stuff that makes sure your website works right, is generally how I use it. But anyway, you don't need to know that so much as just understand that if you've been talking about something for a while, and then you come along and you actually sell a service or sell a product that's related to that, it feels very natural. But if I'm talking to you about programming topics and then I turn around and say, hey, go buy this desk, even though it's tangentially related, right? Because it's work conditions and ergonomics and, you know, you can feel really good about it. If I turn around and sell you something else, it's going to feel weird. And so if you are going to monetize your mailing list, if you're going to reach out to them and offer them the opportunity to buy something that will add value to them, make sure that it's something that has been discussed on the list as time goes forward. And that way they will be primed and ready, not only to accept that you're offering them the opportunity to buy this, but they'll be interested in it because they've been 
hearing what you have to or reading what you have to say about it for the last few months. And it tends to just flow a whole lot better. If you do a bait and switch on your audience, a lot of times they they feel a little bit weird about it. They may not put it into exact words, but it's going to feel off. Okay, he's been talking to me about X, Y, and Z for three months, and then he tried to sell me Q. You know, it's just going to, it's, it, well, I guess, I guess this mailing list, I just have to put up with uh, sales pitches periodically. Whereas if, if it's, Hey, you know, here's, here's X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. And now here I have a product for Y, then it's just going to feel like part of the conversation. I, I'm even, I must say more explicit than that. Like, I mean, I definitely try to put out interesting, useful tidbits for programmers and, and things that I've learned. I mean, the way, the way that I describe it is let, let's learn together. Um, and I've said, I think many times on the podcast, even here, I've been writing for Linux Journal for 20 years, believe it or not, like just about every month. And easily the amount of email that I get from one message, let's say two or three messages to my mailing list dwarfs the amount of email I've gotten over those 20 years from my Linux Journal readers. Like people, (laughs) which, which maybe I'm just putting off my readers in the magazine. I don't know. But I, it's not uncommon for me to have someone subscribe to my list. And then they get the automatic thing saying, thanks for subscribing. Please tell me about yourself. And they will email me and say, I've been reading your column for years. I'm so glad I have a chance to be in touch with you. Now, they could have done this before, right? It's not like my email address is a secret. But they're much more likely to communicate and be a part of that. And so, so I'm on my list constantly giving them sort of insights and ideas in a program. But I'm also saying my current project is... So people on my mailing list know that for the last four months, I've been putting together this book on regular expressions. And how do they know it? Because I've been mentioning it and because I've been giving them sections of it, sample exercises, things I'm planning to do. And so not only do people know, like just today, I send a broadcast saying, I'm about to publish this in two days. Um, here's another sample from it. But I think uh, uh, it's very like natural. And so I'm constantly telling people, so this is what I've learned. And um, I'm working toward you know, a book, I'm working toward a product of some sort. And so people email me and they say, like, we're interested in this. We want to see this. And so when it comes out, it's a very natural part of what I'm doing on the list. They're not surprised. It's, oh, here's the book that he's been talking about for a few months. And I've seen parts of that. Wow, I'd like to get that. Or worst case, they say, eh, not so interesting, but I'll stay on the list. Right. But no one's offended by it. I hope. Right. Right. The thing you're talking about is alignment. The offer is aligned with everything else you've been doing. Well, and it's not a surprise either, right? Because he's been yeah. talking about the book and then he finally just sends the emails that says it's out there if you want it, right? And so yeah. it's not this surprise, you can buy something from me. Right. You know, <laughs> even if you've been talking about regular expressions the entire time, they know the book's coming. It's not a shock. And so when you say, Oh, by the way, it's out there. Here's where you go to buy it. Then it's, it's, oh, well, I've kind of been following along with this for a while. So, you know, it's kind of reached the climax of that story as far as putting the book out there, right? Right. Let me turn around. This is where we're talking about my list. Let me talk about a different list, a different set of problems that, that I'm having that, and then it's sort of a different set of solutions I've been trying to, to deal with. So I also run a list uh, called Mandarin Weekly, which I think I've mentioned, which is uh, sort of modeled on Peter Cooper's lists, right? You know, the This Week in JavaScript, This Week in, I don't know, he's got like 10 different things going on now. It's all about oranges. Oh, <laughs> right, exactly. So so for those of you who don't know, those of you new to the podcast, I'm somewhat obsessed with studying Chinese. And I said, you know, there are 40 million people out there studying Chinese. There are some blogs, but no one is aggregating them. What if I were to put this together? Um, partly because if I'm already obsessed, I might as well put my obsession to good use in the public. And partly, well, maybe I could turn this into a business of some sort, even a small one. And so there, I don't have any natural way to build an audience. And there it's been like some posting on blogs and some posting on like Reddit to tell them about it. Um, I even started taking out some advertising, which has turned out to be phenomenally successful once targeted in the right way. But the interactions I have are very different because I'm no longer writing and sort of asking people for call to action. I'm no longer asking people for reaction. I'm no longer selling them anything. And so it's just like every two weeks now, now it's gotten big enough that every two to three weeks I get email from someone saying, I just want you to know this is really useful to me. And so maybe it's a size thing where you have to get over a certain hump and maybe it's a style thing. It's been a much longer road than I expected to build the audience to where I'd want it to be. Yeah, one thing that I can think of right off the bat is if you're featuring blog posts in your weekly newsletter, 
then you should be mm-hmm. emailing all the people who are featured in the weekly newsletter and telling them that they've been featured and give them a click to tweet.com link that will allow them to quickly and easily tweet. Hey, our blog post was featured in Mandarin Weekly, and here's where you get it. You know, it's it's funny how these things are so obvious in retrospect. So, <laughs> right? Because like I I did try emailing a few of them, and I got nothing and nowhere. And because the way that the like blogs work, so sometimes they'll notice. But the idea of sending them email and saying click to tweet, like it seems so obvious and simple, and yet why didn't I do it? Well, it's so, obvious once like, you've done it, but right. And so, and I've done that for other products, but. You know, when I first saw it, I, I did the same thing. You know, I did the forehead slap and then it was, oh, my gosh, that's brilliant and completely obvious now that I know it's there. Wow. Right. And I can even automate that. I mean, I've got a little program yeah. that I that I use to like generate the HTML for the, the newsletter each week so I could easily add an email address for each site. And if they appear, like even send it automatically. Yes, I can be a spammer. Perfect. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it's again, it's those same kinds of things. You could also do the same thing with the people who are subscribed. So you put a link in there that just says, Hey, you know, if you like this, please click here. And again, you give them a real easy way to share it. So let me ask you about that because I've said now for months, I think at the top, you know, if you enjoy this, please share it with your friends. But what you seem to be indicating is that's not enough. I need to make it like blatantly, blindingly obvious. Give them a button. Yeah, you want a specific call to action. Click here for a pre-written tweet that you can use to share this with your friends or click here to like us on Facebook or, you know, whatever. But, but what that does is then, you know, if they participate on Twitter and, you know, you can even say, you know, take two seconds and, you know, do it. And then it, you know, but then it feels like something simple and easy and, you know, gives them the chance to do it in a very, you know, easy and controlled way. Excellent. Excellent. Ruben, are you, taking this sort of old uh, emails and posting them as blog posts on the site where people could opt in for this list? Funny you mention that. Yes, but it took me a while to realize that. So for a okay. while, I thought, I've got this great content, right? And then the few people who were subscribed at the beginning were like, this is amazing. So I didn't, I wanted people to sign up on the mailing list, and I didn't want to make it on the blog. So at first, I, I, I would just have on the blog, I would just have the headlines. Say, so you want to you see more? You can either go to the Aweber uh, um, archive or you can click here to subscribe. And at a certain point, I guess it's about six months ago, I said, this is nuts. And I started producing the complete content and putting it on the blog uh, about a day later. So if you get the email subscription, it comes to you on Monday. And if you go to the blog, it co- shows up on Tuesday. And basically, I found that, what do you know? People were finding it. People were linking to it. And I was able to take advantage of the fact that it was on a blog because now it's indexable and searchable and everything. Um, so I think that was definitely a wise way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I and think, you- I think, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think the SEO value of that outweighs the um, exclusivity value of having it just on your list. Yeah. And then you just make it really, really easy and very obvious. If you want this a day sooner and you want it somewhere where you're always going to see it, then sign up for the mailing list. Right. So I've done a few things just in the last week or two that have dramatically changed things. So first of all, I started taking out some Facebook advertising. Um, and it took me a while to sort of fine-tune it so that I was getting to people. Because at first I was like, I'm going to target this at anyone who's interested in Chinese. And if they indicate that, then that's great. And I got an incredible number of likes on Facebook and a very small number of people actually subscribing. So I said, okay, how should I do this? And so Facebook is amazing in terms of being able to target. So I'm now targeting people who teach Chinese between certain ages in certain countries. And boom, like a lot more people are signing up. It's really amazing what can happen with that. And the other thing is that I added the the sort of pop-up, which everyone hates, but I hate to say it, it works, that when you're about to leave a site... Right. You're about to leave. It says, no, no, before you leave, didn't you know that you can get this delivered to your mailbox every Monday? And uh, I think it's got like now a, what a 20% success rate on that box. It's really quite yeah. something. I don't have any great data to back this up other than my year or two of experience working on a, a corporate help desk. But I can tell you that at least <laughs> a, a, a substantial portion of people use their uh, – this was always with Outlook where when the PST file would get over a gig, uh, just everything would get very fragile. And anyway, uh, a lot of people use their email inbox as sort of their permanent record of everything. You know, it's their CYA file. 
in case mm-hmm. something you know, they get blamed for something at work. They can show you the email. And also, I think it's it's like a convenient place for them to say, you know what, I don't have time to read that now. It's sort of like their Instapaper account if they're not hip to Instapaper. You know what I mean? So I think even if you take content that you want to be somewhat exclusive and just put it on your blog anyway, I think there's value in doing that. Because I think people will still sign up and say, you know what, I don't want to. It's like bookmarking a site almost. Right. Yeah, my hang up on that kind of thing has always been uh, if I write a blog post and then I want to send it to my list, you know, there's a certain segment that are probably looking at both and they're going to go, well, I could have just seen this on the blog post or I could have just waited for it to come in on my email. And uh, but but I think for the most part, you have different audiences for both and it doesn't matter as much. Yeah, you're describing what I call the panopticon problem of content, which is. You see all the content. You're the guy who makes it. So, of course, you see it all. But sometimes people have a much more sort of siloed, segmented view of your content. Like they only are going to see what's on the website or they're only going to see it if there shows up in their inbox. So I think it's okay to duplicate across those different channels. Yeah. The other thing is, is you can stagger the timing. I mean, on a newsletter like Reuven's, you probably don't want to. But, you know, in my case where I have a blog and an an email and everything else, definitely – you know, it is something that I can actually get away with. What are the, uh, like, getting in front of audience options that might be out there for your you know, for this list we're talking about here? Are there it's ways you could to me. host a it's webinar not, or? Well, the thing is, like, I'm not, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm still quite the beginner in Chinese. I mean, I've been doing it for a year and a half, and I've, I've made, like, what I think is very good progress. But I'm still a, a laughable newbie, which in many ways I think it makes me useful for doing this list because I'm like, oh, that is interesting as opposed to everyone knows that. But I don't think a webinar is necessarily appropriate. Like I'm just doing aggregation of interesting content from other people. So it's not obvious to me how I could sort of leverage other people to build my audience, except that here and there are some other blogs that said, oh, this, you know, here are some resources for learning Chinese. This is one that you should get to. Part of my strategy now with paying for advertising on Facebook is, and maybe I'm just fooling myself, but I figure I'm willing to put in some money here to get to a tipping point of a, a, a larger number of people and people who are sort of more influential. For instance, teachers. For instance, people who are involved in, I don't know, teaching communities that I'm just not associated with. And they will then sort of start to spread the word more. I might be fooling myself there, though. Makes me wonder if you could contact language departments at universities and get your thing listed as a resource for students. Interesting idea. Yeah, that's a really good idea. The other thing that you can do is you can also, hopefully, their professors are publishing. And so you may also be able to work that out so that, you know, you can also say, and if you have any interesting content that you think would go well on the list, you know, let me know about it. And so you get mm-hmm. both ends of it. And it gets you some goodwill because you're actually doing them a favor. Right. That's right, a great like point. That. Yeah. And public and private schools. I'm sure there's probably some pri- private schools that teach Chinese that, you know, would be eager, eager to know about a, a resource that they can feed their paying students, but they don't have to maintain themselves. Right. And it's been fascinating for me in starting up some of this um, this advertising to teachers not everyone is a teacher, but I've seen like, or I can't necessarily tell, but I've seen some people come in from schools, from different school domains. And I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if they'll put it on a list, if they'll tell the students to do it, if they'll just print it out every week, right? It'll be interesting for me to hear how they use it. And I think when the list gets to be a little bigger, I may do a survey to find that out and then sort of get people more interested in that as well, feel feel more connected. Yeah. Yep. It's sort of fun for me to see these two different audiences that I'm dealing with and like, there's no overlap between these worlds and how sort of how I'm building them differently and I'm working with it differently and just the feel is different. Yeah, it's it's a whole different landscape of like who's the authoritative person or group of people that I could who could really amplify this and you know what where are the watering holes. It, it's one of the reasons why I enjoy sort of mentoring people with their positioning is it, it's always different in, in almost every industry. It's always different and always interesting. Yeah, I mean, the other the other thing that comes to mind is if there's some kind of stack overflow or something for Mandarin. Uh, I know several people who have built audiences by going and answering questions on Stack Overflow or Quora or websites like that where they come in and they basically answer a question and then people go check them out and find out, oh, they've got this other thing that answers the question or, oh, they've got this blog post that gives a more in-depth answer or something like that. 
And so I don't know if there are existing forums or other communities for Mandarin that you could actually go into and participate in and then, you know, on the sly or even directly say, I found this blog post that will also explain it better. And I put stuff like that in my newsletter all the time. So first of all, like there are a bunch of them. I mean, there's Reddit and there is a Stack Overflow on Chinese and there's also like a Chinese forum site. And I just, (laughs) there are people there who really, really know what they're talking about and I am not one of them. So I feel like it would be a combination of not a good use of my time and or disingenuous and or just giving people bad information. That said, someone just signed up for the list like two days ago and they sent me a a grammatical question. I was like, wow, I can actually answer this. I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) Yeah. But you could also even just pile on, right? So somebody comes in and says, well, you actually conjugate this verb in Chinese this way. And then you go in and you say, here's a really great blog post on that in more detail, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, so, so then you don't have to be the expert, but you can be the resource. And again, you know, you just have in your signature or something that says, um, you know, go sign up for my newsletter, blah, blah, blah. And so you you become the, the encyclopedia without actually having to know all of the facts. That's a really good point. Very clever. And by the way, there are no conjugations in Chinese, but that's like a separate issue. Okay. Well. (laughs) <laughs> I, I studied French for six years and I lived in Italy for two years. So conjugations are kind of a thing there. Right, right. No, that's, that's one of the nice things about it. The pronunciation is a killer, but, but you don't, at least you don't have to conjugate. Yeah. Huh. I, I, I so, will also, I want to put out there a few other ideas. I'm just going to throw them out there really quickly. So with the podcast, one thing that I've done is I've used FFmpeg to convert the audio into video with just the album art and then put it up on YouTube. And I've gotten some, uh, pulling some people in there. Um, also having a Facebook page has really helped, but ultimately all of those things are built up just to pull people back to the website so that I can, uh, capture email addresses and things like that. The other thing that I did early on was, uh, RubyFlow, which is a website where people post, uh, information news about Ruby programming. And so if you can find a place like that, or Reddit or Hacker News or whatever that, that does that kind of thing. Those are also great places to kind of get the word out. And you're probably not going to get a huge torrent of traffic unless it's something that that entire community really wants. But you'll still get people who are interested. Come check you out. What were you going to ask, Ruben? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to ask uh, uh, Philip. I mean, you've, you've been asking some great questions. I'm curious to hear how you build up your list and how you build your audience. Because, I mean, I'm on your list and I've been reading it for a while. And, and I, I love it. But, I mean, is it... Have you found that it's these email courses that have led people into it, or are there other ways as well? It's pretty simple, uh, and I, you know, I tried, tried a number of things to find what was going to work for me. And what's been really good for me is so the mount, the real mouth of my funnel is appearing on podcasts as a guest and talking about positioning. That at the end of any one of those guest appearances, I say, hey, if you want to learn more, go to positioningcrashcourse.com, and there's an email course you can opt in for there. And that's how people get on my list. So if you go to my website and uh, certain pages of the website have uh, an opt-in for that positioning crash course as well, all of it just funnels through that one simple email course. I am working on ways to sort of scale that up and, you know, develop a, I would refer to that, that email course as a lead magnet. I want to develop a lead magnet that's a little more broadly interesting than just positioning. If that's uh, not a paradox, I don't know what is. <laughs> but, you know, I'll probably add another another lead magnet at some point. But it's very, right now it's a super simple funnel. And then once you're on my list, I email a lot. And I'm just always trying to provide value and let you know about the ways you can pay for value. So it's not really the kind of thing... Like I see a lot of Facebook ads of people who are like, I've developed a lead generation system that, you know, brings $100,000 a month in business to my my coaching practice. And I look at those and I'm like, yeah, maybe, I guess. And I, and I do sort of check them out because I'm always interested in, in the lead generation techniques that are working. But I feel like there's a sort of a quality of like unrealism to those things. A little, it just feels a little slimy to me. But I know my system works, and in contrast, my system is not very sexy and appealing, but it's quite reliable. Um, you know, uh, to uh, go on a podcast, and a certain number of those people will click over to the call to action and, and end up on my list. And some of them are, you know, very happy to be there. <laughs> so it works, but it's, it's, it's quite simple. Very neat. That's really interesting. And, so, and it's also probably leaving a lot of 
you know, potential subscribers on the table. There's more I could be doing. Definitely want to experiment with stuff like Facebook ads. I just honestly haven't had the time to really do it right. And and are you, I mean, so like your, your thing has been, you know, positioning for technical firms, although I see you sort of starting to edge out and do other things as well. I mean, have you thought about, talked about positioning for other people or doing a, maybe not a separate list, but separate lead magnet for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I get plenty of graphic designers and writers and people who are not custom software developers on my list. And that's fine because I think a lot of what I talk about is directly applicable. But I mean, really, any anything that's a, a services business where the primary factor is increasing trust and, um, you know, you, you want to get away from the sort of hustle approach. To me, you're going to benefit from being on my list. But at the same time, I really, I just keep my message focused on a particular audience because it makes so many other things easier. Mm -hmm. So yeah, of course, I've toyed with the idea. There's a little devil on my left shoulder that's whispering to me all the time, you know, oh, you should should change your focus, find a bigger audience, whatever. (laughs) But uh, I, I don't believe it. So one question that I have is periodically I intend to change my lead magnet. Mm-hmm. So I think the top 10 episodes is probably going to run for six months or so, and then I may do something different. I'm also looking at, um, because that only pops up maybe once a month for people, it's what I have it set to right now. You know, I want something else that pops up periodically, too, that's going to prepare them for a product that I am working on. And so um, I want to give them a lead magnet and things like that. But I already have a bunch of people on my list. Do I just email those folks and give them the opportunity to basically opt in for that lead magnet and, you know, get tagged with whatever I'm using to keep track of people that are interested in that as well so that I have different segments of my list? Maybe. When you get down to it, there's a number of ways to handle that. It's like with a system like Drip or other marketing automation software, you can change the content of an email based on things like how someone is tagged. So you could do it that way. You could send the same content out, uh, but have a different call to action. I do that. Um, Or you could have a different list segment, as you indicated. And, you know, the way that you get on that segment is from the list, you you click a, a link inside an email and that signs you up to that different segment. And you start getting new emails as a part of that segment, or it could just be, you know, they opt into that lead magnet on your website. Both of those would work. It's it's kind of a question of how much complexity you you desire to manage, and um, you know, what which one will accomplish your ultimate goal better. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I just for that particular thing, you know, so I'm writing an ebook on how to find a job as a coder. It's mostly aimed at new developers because those are the people who tend to be asking me the most, and so. I would like to put a, you know, basically a little pop-up that comes up, you know, after they've been on the page for a little while or maybe when they're leaving that says, uh, by the way, I'm working on this book, you know, enter your email address to get, you know, five, you know, the five steps to getting a job or something. I don't know. But uh, if I put that out there, I know that some of the people that are currently on my list for the podcast episodes and other things are going to be interested in that. And so I thought maybe I just email them. I could email them and have them go to a landing page where they can opt in. I mean, there are a lot of options. I just... I, I guess part of it's just paralysis by analysis because I don't know what the best way to go is. Right. Well, just know that, you know, whatever you choose is, is going to have is going to be somewhat of a compromise. Are you on drip? Yes. OK, well, you could just set up a trigger link in an email and say, click here if you're interested in this thing. And then the trigger link is what adds somebody to that second segment. Yep. That's what I was looking at doing. Yeah. So you don't even need the landing page. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about putting a landing page up because I've shared a URL with people that it's going to be published soon. That makes sense. So I could just send them through to that, but yeah. That makes sense. I, I mean, here's the thing I guess that most people don't think about when they say, I'm going to add a second audience or a major segment is, are you going to be able to produce content for specifically for that new audience, specifically for that new segment mm-hmm. at the required rate. And I don't know what that rate is, but uh, are you going to be able to sustain that over the long term? (laughs) That's exactly why I have a conditional call to action where I don't produce different content for people who are interested in in positioning versus lead generation. I just have a different call to action. Right. And it's because I just don't have the bandwidth to make that much content right now. Wish I did, but I don't. So I got to be realistic about that. And that's, that's the one thing I guess I would tell people to look out for when they're thinking about adding a whole different second audience or third audience. Yeah. This is mostly a segment within my existing audience. So yeah. And I already have five or six segments of my existing audience now. So sounds to me like you know what to do. Just yep. need to do it. 
Anything else we should talk about about building an audience or managing a mailing list? Let me let me just add one thing, which is uh, we got the suggestion for this topic from one of our listeners, which was great. And I, I'm not taking this personally at all, but he said, "Oh well, it probably wasn't that hard for Ruben because you know he's got this audience from Linux journal already." Everyone, everyone, including me, starts with zero people on their list, and it's it it was an uphill battle for me and a learning curve for me, just like everyone else. And I still hear about people getting, oh, I don't know, like someone I just turned say that he got 800 people in the last month. And I say, wow, how could that possibly be? And so everyone can learn here and everyone can start. Everyone starts from the same point. If you don't have a list, you can start one and it will take time to build it up, but it's totally, totally worth it. Yeah, I just want to tag onto that and say, absolutely, everybody. No one's born with an audience unless you're, you know, the in the royal family in England or something. And then maybe you're born into an audience, but everyone else has to build it. And I think it can be a tremendous source of stability and and security for almost any business. I think it's a wonderful asset, but it is an asset. You have to build it and you have to, you know, contribute the uh, value. Sorry, my cat's uh, agreeing with me. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out if it was the cats outside or the cats on the podcast. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Great. All right. Well, I think I think that was well said. So we'll go ahead and do do some picks. Ruben, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So here, I'll, I'll do a, since we've already talked about it, I'll segue into a self-serving pick. So when this podcast actually uh, drops, my new book, uh, Practice Makes Regex, the least pronounceable book ever written, uh, book title. Anyway, it's uh, 50 exercises in regular expressions with solutions in Python, Ruby, JavaScript, and Postgres. Uh, and the idea is many, many people try to learn regular expressions. Many people um, end up cursing, hitting their head on the wall, turning off their computer, or worse. And so the idea is, by doing lots of exercises and looking at the solutions, you can improve your fluency and see why they are actually a useful tool and not just a way for consultants to extract lots of money from their victims. So uh, if you're interested in regular expressions, if you're interested in improving your fluency with them, uh, take a look at my book and um, give me feedback if you think it's the sort of thing that you're interested in. Anyway, that's my pick for this week. All right, Philip, what are your picks? I just have to say that, like, I use regular expressions once a year for some reason. That seems to be the frequency. And so I'll go to Stack Overflow. I'll figure out how to use the one aspect of that crazy thing that I need to. And then I'll, I will have forgotten it completely by the next time I need to do anything with it. Everyone, everyone, I'll, I'll just I'll just add, I, I mentioned, like, I guess it was about a month or two ago in some class that I was teaching that I'm working on this book. I teach sometimes regular expressions classes. And this woman in the class says, well, I just go to Stack Overflow, right? And everyone's like nodding. And she says, besides, the only thing you need to know is dot star. Dot stars does everything. <laughs> and I was like, yes, by know, definition. <laughs> right. You could be a little more precise than that. <laughs> but you're good enough to do that. Yeah. So, well, here's one vote for your book. Anyway, my pick is uh, from, since we're talking about audience building, from the world of internet marketing scumbags, uh, I read a book by a guy named Ken McCarthy, who is apparently sort of the founding father of selling stuff online. And he wrote a book, uh, which was really a collection of newsletters that he sent to his list called The System Club Letters, 57 Big Ideas to Transform Your Business and Your Life. Cheesy part of the world to be... Um, receiving information from and uh, maybe not the greatest title, but it's actually a really, really good book. It's half inspirational and half educational and was totally worth the $9.99 Kindle price. One of the exercises in that book to kind of get you out of when you're stuck in your business is to ask what's working, what's missing from that, and based on the answers to those two questions, what's next? And I, I found this a very interesting and powerful way to sort of break down blocks and problems in, in a business. And so that's one tidbit from that book and it's full of other good stuff too. That's my pick for this week. Awesome. I was exposed to Ken McCarthy a little month or two ago and cool. Great stuff. He's got, yeah. he's got some good stuff. I've got a couple of picks as well. We talked a lot about email, so I'm going to pick drip. I know it's been picked on the show before, probably by me as a matter of fact, but uh, it's such a great system. And, and I really, really enjoy using it, uh, to collect the emails. I mentioned app sumo or sumo me. That's what it is. Sumo me.com. And that works terrific for putting up all of your email capture stuff and everything else. So that works terrific as well. Finally, I just want to shout out last, uh, last week I mentioned it at the top of the show, but, 
we did freelance remote conf and both of these gentlemen spoke, gave great talks. We had a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I have actually had a few people ask me for advice on how to run uh freelance business. And I keep telling them, look, just go buy a ticket at the conference because there's so much great stuff there. And then I'll help you fill in any gaps that you run into. So definitely go check that out. Uh, we are doing conferences all year long. So uh, it's March now. Uh, Ruby Remote Conf is coming up this month. iOS Remote Conf is coming up next month. And we're lining up some speakers for that. Super going to be fun. Uh, React Remote Conf is the month after that. Then Git, then newbies, then robots. So you kind of get the idea. Angular. So yeah. So if you're interested in any of those topics or if they, you know, appeal to the people that you're trying to sell your services to, by all means, go check them out. They're all listed at allremoteconfs.com. That's A-L-L, remoteconfs.com. And you can check all that out. I'm also working, uh, I think I'm going to work that into a platform now that I've kind of got it clicking along for me. So if you're looking at running an online remote conf, then check that out as well. And yeah, I really want to do an episode on webinars now because, you know, both of you have mentioned that you've done them and had some success with them. And my experience with webinars has been less than successful. So anyway, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E. FLY.com to learn more.